to be with you again. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Eric Maynard. I'm a Baptist pastor that lives over in Flushing, Michigan, which is outside of Flint, Michigan. My wife, Julie, is with me today, and it's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, on our way here, we were rerouted through Hudsonville, and uh, we're going down Buttermilk Drive. And I thought, this has got to be it, Julie. This has got to be where the Hudsonville ice cream factory is. And it wasn't. So, but I was, I had my hopes up <laughs> anyway. But it's good to be here. And it's encouraging to uh, see the, the baptism that's happened recently with a, a young man. And uh, is his name Brock, is that right? And then uh, we've also had, you've had members, new members, and keep getting new members coming in. So, Praise the Lord. God is at work here at Harbor Reformed Baptist Church, and it's thrilling to be here. Well, our text this morning is found in the book of Acts. We've just read the entire chapter. I'm uh, doing a series on what's called Steadfast Continuance. So we'll have the first message this morning and the second message tonight, and God willing, uh, if you so desire, we'll, we'll have some more messages from this, this passage in the future. But let's pray together as we look into God's Word. Father, this morning we do pray and ask that you would help us to have understanding minds. Make the Word of God clear, illuminate us by your Holy Spirit. We also pray for responsive hearts that will apply this message to our daily lives. We need your help today, Lord, for without you we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the book of Acts, the theme, just to, for uh, Brevity, for being brief here, is witness to Christ, the witness to Christ, and it spans a period of about 30 years, from the year A.D. 30 all the way to A.D. 60, which we find Paul in his first imprisonment. The book of Acts is divided into three sections, and it's based upon the theme verse which Jesus gave the Apostles in verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Well, Acts 1 to 7 is the witness to Christ established at Jerusalem. Then it moves to Acts 8 through 12, which is the witness of Christ enlarged to Judea and Samaria. And the main uh, character is Peter. And then it moves Acts 13 to 28. The witness expanded to the ends of the earth. And here the prominent figure is the Apostle Paul. In Acts 2, we read about the day of Pentecost. And in this event, we see the witness of Christ, the witnesses, I should say, of Christ empowered 
to speak for Christ. That's very important. You and I need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, Pentecost, as we're going to see, was a one-time event. It's not repeated in our life today. We do not have what are called Pentecostal experiences. We are filled with the Spirit. But this was the outpouring of the Spirit upon the church, and they were given a boldness and a gift of languages, which we had read about. One writer says this, The gift of the Holy Spirit given in Acts 2 was the unique gift of spoken human languages, as we see from the description. The visitors to Jerusalem from all over the Roman world were hearing their own languages, the very dialect of their mother tongues. The miracle was that the people speaking these various languages had not been trained in them. Imagine that. This miracle was accompanied by a supernatural sound and what looked like fire settling on the believers, which drew attention to them and their words. The impressive signs and miracle at Pentecost, however, were a one-time event. We are never commanded to experience Pentecost. In fact, we can't. We are also never commanded to somehow initiate our own baptism with the Holy Spirit. God does that for every believer at the moment they are born again. It isn't something to seek out as a deeper experience of the Spirit. But we are to seek to be filled with the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit as we yield to Him. And the point is that the Holy Spirit Himself empowers our witness. He empowers the Gospel ministry with spiritual strength and boldness to speak and to witness for Christ. And we also know that in the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, the dunamis from which we get our term dynamite, the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What's the point? We can and we should have complete confidence in the Spirit's work and also confidence in the power of the Gospel for the advancement and the expansion of the Kingdom of God upon this earth. We don't have to be innovative. We don't have to try to make it better. We have the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. I submit the problem with churches today is not that we're not creative enough. We just aren't dependent upon the Spirit enough. How we need to be people of prayer. How we need to be longing to be walking more closely with Christ, seeking Him. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, Peter's sermon, briefly, he tells the crowd that what they were seeing and hearing was the prophetic fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. He goes on to tell them that Christ's death, which they shared a part in, was according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. 
Well, they were violating God's revealed will in the Scripture. They were at the same time fulfilling, or seeing the fulfillment, rather, of God's will of decree. We know, for example, in Deuteronomy 29.29, the Scripture says, "...the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children." forever that we may do the words of this law. Now the main thought of Peter's sermon is found here in the 36th verse of Acts chapter 2, which says this, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, in response to this sermon, which, by the way, is what we are to do with sermons. We are to respond to them. They are not merely for our information, but they are for our transformation. Don't forget that. When you listen to a sermon, yes, you're here to learn something, but you're to do something with it. And that's what we're called to do when we preach, is to preach to the heart, not just the mind. But notice they were convicted. It says they were cut to the heart. Conviction from God's Word, brothers and sisters, is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. The preacher's job is not to say things that make people feel better about living a status quo life. The preacher's job is to tell the truth of God's Word and to exhort believers to obey Christ, and unbelievers to believe in Christ. That too is part of the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And sometimes that is the great omission in preaching. Well, anyway, this group of Israelites were under conviction of sin. And they ask Peter, what shall we do? And I think of the Philippian jailer some years later asking the same question to Paul. What shall I do to be saved? I like what this writer says. He says, do you know why these religious people ask the apostles what they should do? Because they didn't know Christ. They had seen Him. They had heard of His miracles. They had crucified Him. They knew of His resurrection. But they did not know Christ. They had been exposed to Him. But they had not been transformed by Him. Have you been exposed to Christ but not been transformed by Him? It's important to have clarity about that question. So many people like these Israelites have been exposed to truth, but they haven't gotten into a relationship with Christ. They don't know Him. They know of Him, but they don't know Him. Well, Peter answers the question. 
And he tells them that they are to repent, repent, and be baptized in the name of Christ. He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? Turn away from your sin. Change your mind about Christ. Come to Him in faith. And as a result of that, show your faith and your obedience through public baptism and identification with Christ. Well, we move down to verses 38 to 42, and I want us to focus on this 42nd verse. This is our theme verse. It says this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. He tells them to be saved from this perverse generation. It says those who gladly received His Word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That's amazing. That's amazing. And they continued steadfastly. I think the New American Standard Bible says they devoted themselves continuously. Now one of the five doctrines of grace, are you familiar with those? Is the perseverance of the saints. What this means is that true, born-again Christians stay the course. You do not turn away from Christ. They do not fall away from the faith. Now that is what it is from the negative. But here in Acts 2.42, we find the perseverance of the saints in the positive. It gives us this doctrine in the positive. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and the prayers. In the Greek language, the definite article is used for each of those. And when we go through those, we'll see what they specifically mean. It's very important. So steadfast continuance in these four areas is a test of Christian reality. When you have a group of believers gathered together, continually devoting themselves to these things, you have a church. And the believers who have responded in faith and have been baptized and who continue in these things demonstrate the reality of their Christian profession. A problem that perplexes many churches is the issue of those who make profession of faith are baptized and then later on fall away. And, and so sometimes pastors and elders and deacons, they scratch their head and they go, did we do something wrong? Did we make the church boring? What, what happened? Why, why are these people who once came uh, no longer interested in church? They're not going to church anywhere. It's not that they've transferred their membership. It's they've dropped out. And I think 
a lot of churches in America have seen this. Uh, just people not going to church anywhere. They just drop out. Well, that's not the issue at all. True believers love each other and forgive each other. So if something has happened, we love each other and we forgive each other. That's what believers do. That's a test of our faith. True believers are, are motivated, not externally, but internally by the Holy Spirit to attend the fellowship of the saints in the church for corporate worship and prayer. You, you, you don't have to bribe them or prod them to be there. They long for the pure milk of the Word to grow thereby. Why? Because they have the Spirit of God dwelling within them and they want to go and hear the Word and feast on it and they want to be with the people of God. So steadfast continuance, listen carefully, steadfast continuance requires not a superficial beginning, but a genuine spiritual beginning. A regeneration. And in this text, we see three very important things that demonstrate a genuine beginning. And the first is this, write this down, the conviction of sin. The conviction of sin. Look at verse 37. It says, and they were cut to the heart. That's a good illustration, probably the best because it's from the Holy Spirit, description of what true conviction is. The Puritans called this the law work of the Gospel. Now the issue of conviction centers around the person of Jesus Christ. And really it it deals with the person's rejection of Him. In verse 36, uh, Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. There are only two groups of individuals alive today. Those who reject Jesus Christ and those who receive Him. And I might say this, everybody, including all of us who have received Christ, at one time rejected Him. Our sin is an expression of that rejection. And the instrument of conviction that the Spirit uses is the law of God. Some of you are starting an evangelism course, and I believe if I saw the box last time I was here, it's the way of the master. Is that, am I right? Is that what you're looking at? No? Okay. Okay. But you're getting into an evangelism course, and that's good. And I know that um, the guy that does the way of the master always deals with the law of God. And that's, that's right. We, we have to show a person why they need to be saved, and that begins with showing them the moral law of God. Every person has violated the moral law of God in Exodus chapter 20, and also Matthew chapter 5. 
where Jesus talks about it's not just outward, but inward. The inward violation of that law. And it's summarized this way. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. If you look at the first table of the law, it's love the Lord your God. The second table of the law is the love your neighbor as yourself. We've all fallen short. And the fact is that when the law is used lawfully, it shows that we need a Savior. And so this conviction of sin is absolutely necessary before true conversion can become a reality. And I think in America especially, we sometimes make the Gospel, we kind of bypass that. We don't talk about conviction. We just say, would you like Jesus as a free gift? Well, sure. Well, what about sin? What about our separation from God? What about our our state? Repentance is important in salvation. Have you ever felt the weight and guilt of your personal sin? What happens in our lives is we're, we're good at being detectives of other people's sins, right? Oh, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, or yeah, that person's a real creep. But what about ourselves? Have you, have you seen yourself as the chief of sinners? I submit to you that you're not righteous. No matter what you do, I'm not righteous in and of myself. No way. I'm the chief of sinners. I stand before you today as a sinner saved by grace, received by Christ. Yes, I've received Him, but the important thing, He's received me and He's received you if you're a Christian. All who come to Him, all that the Father gives Him, come to Him, and those who come to Him, He will in no wise cast out. It's not about me holding on to Christ. It's about Him holding on to me. And the same with you if you're a Christian. It's not about being religious. It's about knowing Christ. And the way to the cross, listen, is first through this issue of facing the reality that we're sinners. That we deserve the wrath of God. Because we have rejected Him. Our sin is an expression of rejection. We've already made our choice. People say, well, I have free will. Yeah, you've made your choice. You've you've already expressed your free will. You've rejected the law of God. And so, we're faced with this fact that we've declared our independence from Christ. And do not want Him because we have violated His law. And those who reject Christ and continue on in that rejection and spurn His grace will one day be rejected by Him at the judgment. He will say, I never knew you. Depart from Me, you who practice lawlessness. So a genuine spiritual beginning 
demands this conviction of sin. Pricked at the heart. Cut to the heart. I'm a sinner. I have rejected and spurned God. Secondly, it involves the conversion of the heart. The conversion of the heart. Look at verse 38. Peter says, Repent. Notice this. Let every one of you be baptized. This is the universal call of the Gospel. So, sometimes people will ask, well, how do you know if a person is to be saved or not? That's not my business. My business is to say to every single person that I come in contact with, it is the will of God for you to repent of your sins and to be saved. That's His declared will. He's not willing that any should perish, but but all come to repentance. That's the, the revealed will of God. Now, the secret will of God, the will of decree, is that He comes in His sovereign grace and He effectually calls His elect. And that's His work. That's His business. And I trust Him with that. God's a good God. And and we see that here as well. We see that in verse 39 that He says, This promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. There you go. There's your effectual calling. So we have these things working together. So we call everybody publicly or privately. We come and we say, God has said in His Word, you're to come to Christ and repent of your sins and receive Him. But we know that it's the work of the Spirit to draw people to God Himself. And He does. And He will. But this conversion of the heart involves a changing of the human mind to a spiritual mind. Repent. This is where one sees their sin and their true condition spiritually for the first time and is absolutely gripped by it. They can't shake it. It's where they can't sleep at night because the Spirit's working on them and and this... This whole thing is is bugging them. An example of this would be um, Christian, before he's Christian, he's pilgrim, in Pilgrim's Progress. He's, He's haunted by his sinful condition. He sees his state and he wants to change desperately. An evangelist comes and he shows him the way. He's got that burden on his back. Remember the story? And he comes to the cross and that burden rolls away. But that conviction of sin was upon him. That's that burden. Do you have that today? Do you have a burden of sin? Because I want to tell you, if you're feeling that, that's good. Because that means the Spirit is working in you. And my prayer is is that I'm preaching, as I'm preaching, or as you're talking to another church member, that as the Gospel is shared, that the Holy Spirit will help you to understand clearly this need to repent of your sins and to put your absolute confident trust in Jesus Christ alone. That when you stand before Him, 
All you can say is, it's nothing that I've done. It's all you, Jesus. You took my sin on the cross and wiped it away, but you didn't leave me bare. You put upon me that coat of righteousness, which isn't my own, but yours. And I'm trusting in you alone. I'm turning away from that. Has that happened to you? Has that genuinely happened to you? I pray that it has, and if not, that it will. It's a changing of the human mind. It's also a changing of hardness of heart to a tender heart. Here's the problem. People hear this who are not saved And in their natural condition, they resent it. Because their heart has not been transformed. It's not going to happen through me convincing you or somebody else and arguing with you about it. Conversion's going to happen when the Holy Spirit takes your heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. And that's what happens. The heart becomes tender and is changed. The prophet Ezekiel, the Lord said this through Ezekiel, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh that is a soft heart. I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and you will keep My judgments and do them. There's a a tenderness. The hardness is gone towards God. And this receptivity, this tenderness, this teachability happens. And then there's a change of an insolent will to an eager will. A stubborn will to a yielded will. This is all part of the gracious work of regeneration. So, a genuine beginning begins with the conviction of sin. It moves to the conversion of the heart, resulting finally in a true confession of faith. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Then those who gladly received His Word were baptized. It's always wonderful to see that. When somebody comes to that point in their life where they are convicted of their sin and they're converted and then they come forward for baptism to publicly declare, I'm identified with Christ and I'm a new creature in Him. Now I'm here to serve Him. I'm here to tell you I'm a Christian publicly. 
and I'm going to follow. Now, this is, this is important that we understand this, this aspect of it. Never in the New Testament do we ever find secret discipleship. This idea that I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to I'm not going to be baptized publicly. I'm not going to share Christ. I'm just going to keep it to myself. No, no. A genuine conversion in the New Testament was always followed by a public confession of faith. And such a confession of faith expressed itself in two inseparably linked ways. What does that mean? That means these all went together. The baptism and the allegiance to a local church always went together. So first of all, a public identification with Christ in believers' baptism. That is how the confession of faith is demonstrated. They that gladly received His Word were baptized. Now we are here a Reformed Baptist church. What does that mean? Well, one of the tenets, and we believe this to be true, is that the early church practiced believers' baptism. And so believers' baptism, I think, can be clearly demonstrated throughout the New Testament. In fact, when Jesus said this, He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Baptizing whom? Them, the disciples, the believers. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So together with the Lord's Supper, this ordinance of baptism was an imperative practice in authentic Christianity. It doesn't save people. It doesn't wash away sins. Rather, it's a a public declaration of of an inward reality of what's happened in a person's life. In fact, it's a picture of regeneration. The old man under the water, the new man raised to walk in newness of life. And secondly, this public confession of faith also has a a covenanted allegiance to a local church. And that's where we get to this In 41 and 42, those who gladly received His Word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The New Testament does not have any examples of Christians who were not members, active members, I might add, of a local New Testament church. You can't find it. Every individual was associated and an active member of a local assembly. Now some may ask, what is a New Testament church? Write this down. A New Testament church is a called out local assembly of baptized believers who have covenanted to join themselves together 
to carry out the Great Commission. Your church has a church covenant. Most Baptist churches do, but here's the problem. We don't understand sometimes the significance of a covenant. We don't abandon ship when things get tough. We're here to serve and love each other. We're steadfastly devoted. If God has called us to a place of service, we continue until He moves us to a different place. We are a baptized group of believers covenanted to join ourselves together to carry out that great commission. The believers were dedicated continually. They were continually devoted to the local assembly for Christian teaching, for fellowship, for Holy Communion, and for public worship. So I'm going to continue this series, God willing, of steadfast continuance. We have seen what's involved in this matter of a right beginning. and God's message has not changed, nor have His methods. Unless, some, unless we start right, we cannot and will not show steadfast continuance. Now, as Christians, we can, we can waver. I get that. But God wants you and I to steadfastly continue. He doesn't want us to grow weary and lose heart. We have a commission and this assembly of believers here in Holland has been called forth to carry on that commission. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word today. I ask that You will write it upon our hearts, use it for Your honor and glory, and we thank You for Your grace. In Jesus' name, Amen.